The information in this podcast is educational in general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of In the Market Trenches. If this is your first time checking us out, remember we're available anywhere podcasts are available. You can check us out at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. You can check us out on the SNN website, that's snn.network. You can also check us out on the SNN YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash snnwire. So what are we talking about today? So I, I think, um, you know, the last couple episodes, we did one about price discovery a few episodes back. In the last episode, we did one on sort of a the Star Wars Cantina story, and I think we're gonna have some guests lined up for the next couple, uh, and some good some good guests too. Uh, so I thought we'd spend a little time talking about you know sort of what we're talking about the, uh, about around the water cooler these days and with clients, and it sort of ties into sort of everything that's gone on in the last six months, sort of the market recovery, the the election that's coming up, the amount of spending the government's doing, and sort of people have a hard time really processing this and you and I, I don't think, I think we've had a pretty good handle on what we thought was going to happen. And a lot of that has, has, has sort of worked out that way. Um, but we spend a lot of time amongst ourselves sort of thinking about the end game and then what happens sort of the morning after. And so where do you want to start with that? Do you want to start with what sort of transpired the last six to nine, six to seven months as we've kind of come out of March or uh, maybe spend just a, a few minutes on that and then sort of transition to how we've come out of March, like the means by which, you know, that's occurred and then sort of transition to sort of maybe the election and then maybe how does this get paid for and, yeah, let's and, follow and, the and, and the end game. Yeah, let's go from up, up to March, what happened, then we can talk about what transpired uh, from March to through the recovery, both in the market and all the spending that took place. And then we have basically November to the end of the year. And then from the end of the year to whenever the end game and morning after is. Yeah. So I would say that as it relates to March, mm -hmm. we missed the COVID crisis, right? Um, Fed goes all in, mm -hmm. you know, running the printing presses full stop, buying everything but baseball cards, anything that, anything that um, could be, you know, um, practically anything. Um, baseball cards is sort of uh, um, being a bit facetious about it, but, but, their goal is to make sure that the plumbing of the financial markets was working in an orderly fashion. So they were fulfilling their role as lender of last resort, and they last resort, and they went big, and they went early, and they went, and they just kept stepping it up. Yep. And now we're sort of in this QE infinity phase. Yep. The government, to address the fallout from the CARES Act, from the from the the COVID pandemic, passed the CARES Act, which was wound up being what two point two trillion. Mm -hmm. And there was 800 billion, 800 billion before that, yep. and another 500 billion sort of was it 500 billion stopgap? Uh, yeah, some give or take. So so far, the federal government's thrown three and a half trillion dollars at this thing, uh, at a 20 at a 21 trillion dollar economy. Okay. We looked at that and thought, wow, that's really big in relation to the economy. The effects of this could linger on much longer than the pandemic. And if you could go, if you could see through the chasm, you could price through the chasm. And you had rates lower right. on the back end, right? Right, and so that led us to be really, really constructive on U.S. equities, generally speaking, 
And so there's a lot of speculation during that time on what the hit to GDP would be. Now we have the benefit of hindsight and we know what that hit was. Well, it was a 33% hit in the second quarter, but that's an annualized number. And so let's say you take $21 trillion of GDP and just divide it by four. There's some seasonality. It doesn't quite work that way. But let's say you divided it by four. Um, they're annualizing the number for second quarter. So it wasn't like the, the number went from $5 trillion to $3.5 trillion. It went from $5 trillion to $4.5 trillion. And they just annualized the rate of the decline. So we've dumped, call it so far, $3.5 trillion on top of a $500 billion hit. And that some of that probably bled over into the third quarter. And now we're talking about doing more. And the bid ask spread on doing more is sort of 1.8 trillion by 2.2 right. with a lot of quibbling about how it gets spent. Right. Okay. So a lot, a lot of borrowing on the table, right. record deficits. Now we previously, you know, we're not really in the camp that deficits matter all that much, generally speaking, um, until they don't matter until they do. And at some point they will, but um, but that's what we've got. So we're, we're looking at and cumulatively, there's going to be another, there's going to be another package. It's just a question of when and what it really looks like, but it's going to be of the two. How big, when, how's it getting? Probably close to $2 trillion, maybe more. And a lot of that was really, really supportive for asset prices because you're dumping a lot of money on top of the economy. And I think people, I think politicians used the 33% number that was being thrown around as a pretext for doing something huge, huge to, to, to quote the current president of the United States, huge, bigly. And um, <laughs> by the way, full disclosure, we're politically, we're, this is this is not a political statement in any, any shape or form. We're just kind of talking about the current events and how we see things transpiring from here. I mean, but, I mean, if that's not left, that's not right. That's, uh, you know, I see that most of the late night folks are far left and they do pretty funny impersonation. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a reflection of, a, of any political. And so, but, but, but the point is enormous. there's going to be, there's going to be more and there's going to be more relative to what we've lost due to the pandemic. Right. right. So we've unleashed basically some form of modern monetary theory because the fed is out there buying treasuries. You know, they are, the, they are buying as many treasuries as they, uh, there's a, there's an amount they said they're going to buy, but they're, they're the market. They're, they're, they're soaking up the market for treasuries and doing basically holding down rates along the curve a bit that way. So we're following our timeline. I think we've covered up to the election. Post-election, you we have this bid ask spread. That's gonna that's gonna narrow and something's eventually gonna get passed. There's gonna be more. Well, it might narrow, but depending on the results of the election, let's say that there's a sweep. It, you, it, you, you, might, gonna, you might just jump the ask, right? Yeah. You, you might just go, you might just jump, you know, jump the ask and it's two and a half to $3 trillion. Right. Because that's, that was the house bill was $3 trillion. But we know roughly where the floor is going to be. But that's also not the last, the last thing they do necessarily. Could be true. So this is full on MMT where we, the federal, federal government is stepping in sort of to support the economy in this way. All right, so fast forward. Some, that's been, and that's some, been very, very conducive for stock prices, particularly the stock prices of the biggest companies. And so let's say a $2 trillion bill gets passed, more stimulus. Let's just for purposes of this conversation, say that's the final bill. What, uh, what does our debt load look like at that point? What's the economy look like and where do we go from there? Oh, the debt load is over, well over 100% to GDP, of debt to GDP. It's, 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 um, and it's growing, right? Like, so we're not, the thing about this stuff is like, 
in a way, it's almost like there's no going back from it. Right. I mean, it's sort of the the uh, what's the right expression? I'm I'm probably not going to get the right expression, but you've you, you know the horse has left the barn. That's that's an expression. Can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, okay, any more trite metaphors? <laughs> no, let's, that's the thing. You got on. one. I got well, one. Let, let's let's pause here <laughs> and, and, and we'll do me, we'll do metaphor corner. Um, Bobby, uh, producer Bobby, you got any metaphors to add to metaphor corner? I like uh, you put the genie. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. I like uh, you know the the, right. the, the horse. The, the horse. Can't the egg. Can't, yeah. yeah, you can't unscramble the egg. You know, I think you know. I think we're covered. It's sort of like what's done is done. Yeah. And it's now this this we've it's now and it's now sort of a new world that we live in. And so and so how how do you actually go about addressing this issue? I mean, the debt's there. Something has to be done with the debt. You could grow your way out of it. Right. Theoretically, is that possible or probable? Theoretically, it's possible. <laughs> is it probable? That's another matter. So you have this giant debt load, and the pro and so like everybody over the last 10, 10 years or so since the global financial crisis has been calling for inflation to come back and the debt load to be a problem and um, and all of this stuff. And I think what people have missed along the way, and we've not really been in this camp, but. The amount of debt out there is actually it creates an overhang on the economy because the so the economy is so levered that any increases to the cost of borrowing sort of create the conditions for contraction and for prices to fall so the amount of debt actually sort of creates this deflationary headwind mm -hmm. and so we kind of sat around thinking what's the way out of this i mean like rates aren't going to go up they would go up if we're growing but as we start to grow you sort of hit a point where the higher cost of capital really starts to hit the levered economy pretty hard and you sort of create the conditions for so in it's it's a liquidity trap in yeah. an economic parlance and so like the fed has this two percent inflation target i think they touched it once in the last 10 years and so like i've never really been convinced that the fed can create the inflation in this type of environment i think actually and so why do you want to create the inflation well they can create inflation in asset prices but that's probably the only place that you can create inflation. but why do you want to create so you can't grow your way out of this you still have this looming debt problem so you reduce the value of the of the of the debt by creating inflation so fall so so politicians i don't know whatever necessarily come out and say this but everybody likes a little bit of inflation now, now investors may not like it savers may not like it retirees may not like it but as it relates to the government and the and and bar and borrowers, borrowers like a little bit of inflation because it right. it sort of decreases the, the it sort of you know de debases what you owe a little bit. Right. But the amount of the borrowing itself has sort of created a headwind. As as have a number of different things like increases in the pace of technology, all sorts. Of, um, you know, and that's broadly speaking. That's not computers. or low computers are a part of it. It's um, you know getting using technology to get better at finding finding natural resources and extracting them out of the ground cheaper and lowering the cost curve and all this other stuff. So like, it's technology, that's technology, but it's not like the internet. Right. That's technology yeah. in, in, applied in a different way. So we're using technology in, a, in sort of a, it's sort of a broad, in sort of a broad search. So like, it's, like, it's like when I go to church, uh, you know, Pastor Bruce talks about the church and he can talk about the church capital C and that's all believers. Little C is our church. Right. And so we're talking about technology, capital T, all technology, not capital, not technology, little t, which would be like internet and computers and, you know, all that sort of thing. And that's right. sort of, sort of how I conceptualize it. Um, and so, you know, you're fighting that headwind too, and that's a pretty raw, real strong and pervasive one. And so, but, you know, the government, the politicians will never, will never 
I don't know that they'll never come out and say this, or at least not most of them, but they like the inflation. They like, they like a little bit, they like, they like enough inflation because it makes everybody feel a little bit wealthier without actually making anybody a little bit wealthier. Right. And it allows them to sort of spend money and, and sort of, you know, the, the, the value of all the obligations they have sort of starts to shrink a bit. Right. And so the federal hasn't been able to create this, but maybe the federal government might. And, and so how might the federal government do that? And, and well, the federal government might be, might be able to do it. They can't do it on their own right. because like they the can go out and spend a lot of money. They, they, need, they need somebody to buy the debt. And so therein come, lies the Fed, right? The Fed has this infinite balance sheet. I think everybody's seen this clip of Powell on 60 Minutes. I don't know, was it April? Yeah, yeah. In, in April, um, who's the interviewer? I don't remember. Who, I don't. Uh, I don't watch I sixty don't, minutes. I don't. Sixty minutes in my mind is for like you know the oldest boomer crowd that there is, right? Like you, you, you're real like uh, producer Bobby disagrees. Producer Bobby disagrees. You watch sixty minutes every Sunday. Okay. All right. The ticking clock. Well, we're we're rare. We're, uh, my wife and I are rare. I think in that sense. I don't know anybody else our age that actually does watch sixty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, so, well, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, I've been told that I have the soul of an octogenarian, and even I don't watch 60 Minutes. So, like, I don't know. Anyway, so Jay Powell gets on 60 Minutes. He says, what? How did he? I think the, I think the question was something along the lines of, like, this how money, did... how do you guys create it? And and he just looks at the, the interview, and he's like, well, we, we, we just create it digitally. Just push a button. And, and then, and like, it's, it's one of those moments, and he was like, huh. And now with this sort of, they're buying all these treasuries, they're sort of tacitly cooperating with the treasury. And so, you know, we, we you know, the, the election's coming up and, you know, you've got, in our mind, three different outcomes. In the end, money's gonna get spent. There's just gonna be differences in how it gets spent. And if there's a blue wave, we could see a lot of uh, money being dedicated to the state and local governments. Um, taxes are, probably going to go up a little bit, but not meaningfully so. And these are things that we're talking about with clients. So clients are concerned about taxes going up. They're concerned about change in government. They're concerned about all these different things. And from where we sit, if there's a sweep, um, the folks wearing blue ties want to spend a lot more money and dump it on the economy. And they want to give it to state and local municipalities, which their propensity to spend is very, very high. It's incredibly high powered money. So from like a stock market economy perspective, you know, we're kind of trying to Everybody's really worried. I mean, how would you describe the conversation? Everybody's really worried about what? Everyone's really worried about increased taxes. Increased taxes, but most of all, if their team loses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ever so. The conversation that that I have, it's mo it's always around. If my team doesn't get in the White House, the sky is going to fall. The sky is going to fall. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to a Republican or a Democrat. It's still it's the same line, um, and it's the same fear. And some of the fears may be different depending on who you're talking to, but that's generally the statement that starts the conversation. And there are scenarios where the sky could fall. I just sure, but the you know it's not. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a byproduct of who's sitting in the White House and who controls the Senate necessarily. Right. So it's one of those things where like, you know, you don't want to get you don't want to let your politics get in the way of your investing. And you know, you vote at the ballot box. You don't vote with your portfolio. Right. Um, and so you want to be very careful with that. And a lot of people they're inclined to want to vote with their portfolio, which is not a rational decision. And so from where we sit, you know, the spending is just going to keep it. We're, we're in MMT world and the spending is just going to kind of keep going regardless of, of how the election itself shakes out. And but I think, again, so I think the most non-consensus during the election is 
maybe we'll have a definitive outcome on election night and that in of itself will be constructive. Right. Um, you know, we don't know that there'll be a definitive outcome on election or shortly thereafter, we should say, but like, but, but the question that we get, at, uh, the most common question that we get after we're, after that is, well, we're spending all this money, like we're talking trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. How does this all get paid for? And so that's what we've spent some time thinking about and fielding questions from clients about. And I, I would say that there's two main things. Well, maybe there's three main things because it's a very layered question, right? Yep. So question one, is there a finite date where all of the US debt needs to be repaid? No. Okay, so there's no date that it needs to be repaid. It just simply needs to be rolled. Yeah. Okay. And the Fed stands ready and willing to roll it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's no great debt recovery date. The Fed's going to be standing there willing to roll this. Okay. The second one is how does it need, it, let's say we wanted to get it down or we wanted to get it in line. How does that happen? Does it happen through growth? It could, unlikely. Yeah, we are sort of in a lower growth world in a structural way. Um, the, the demographics are very challenging. Um, but you know, we could get some above average growth that could help, but that's not going to solve, the, that's not going to solve our way out of this. It's very similar to the, you know, we're sort of, there's a problem that started in Japan, migrated to Europe and is sort of migrating here. Right. Um, the, now the next question is, can it be paid for through higher taxes? I think the, the, the numbers, the numbers too high, you can't service it through higher taxes. So that's the other thing. So we talked earlier about um, sort of the size of the debt and any increases to the borrowing, sort of creating the conditions for contraction and prices to fall. Well, the size of the debt load also sort of creates a situation where if you try to raise the taxes- To adequately service that and level and, re debt, and reduce the and debt, reduce it. you create the conditions for the economy to contract and or collapse. Right. Because the, the economy is so heavily geared. And so there may be increases in taxes but they're going to be, I, in my view, they've got to be sort of incremental mm -hmm. and maybe more something to drive um, drive incentives in the economy more so than, say, reduce the debt load. Right. And so, you know, we've got rates really low across, and, but against that backdrop, we've got rates really low across the curve. Mm -hmm. And so, what is your what would your expectations be for the next time we have some sort? Well, that, of so the other one is the Fed. Maybe was this one of the things the Fed can create inflation, but they have a well, we, pretty strong history of not being able to do that. Well, so the, the so then we get to maybe we pay for it not through the tax code, but through inflation. Right. And there's been a lot of folks along the years who say we're going to have runaway '70s style inflation, and you know that prediction has not borne fruit. And you know that has not borne fruit because there's nothing different about what's going on. As we sit here today, the Fed financing the federal government is kind of different. And we can see a world where that happens in a more significant way. And maybe the Fed can't create inflation and the government may be constrained in borrowing by the market. But if the market doesn't matter because they can go to the Fed, well, maybe the Fed and the federal, the Feds and the Federal Reserve teaming up together can create the inflation. And so. So at the next crisis, so the Fed is basically committed to keeping rates near zero through 2023. So maybe at the next crisis, I think they have an allergy towards going negative, but that doesn't mean that the market can't take the treasury curve negative. Right. And so let's say the market takes the treasury curve negative. Well, now what does the treasury want to do with its debt? So that I think creates the pretext for a whole new world of, of government spending, because at that point in time, you can like you and I are, are, are let's take a side road here. 
you and I are involved in a company right now that has a very interesting piece of debt on it. It's a preferred that um, is a long dated security. It has no coupons on it and it converts to equity at a very high price. Right. There are no events of default that um, uh, the prep holders can ask for their money back periodically, but the company can say no. Um, and that fact is maybe an item of dispute between the prep holders and the company right now. But our view on it is that the company can say no. And so through that lens, you know, let, let's say that we get to a world where it, the government gets paid to borrow. Negative rates, just to be clear. Yeah. Could you see a world where the secretary of the treasury, the Steve Mnuchin of that day, walks over to the Jay Powell of that day and says, hey, great news. The government's getting paid to borrow. I've got an above market deal for you. How about I, how about I, I float you a security with no coupons that never needs to be repaid? What's the rate? Zero. <laughs> but I've got, but I've got good news. That's an above market deal. <laughs> and so I'll take it. And so effectively, it equitizes the debt stack of the U.S. government, and you can push that money through the economy. And I think um, like that's not that. And so like we're thinking about we're spending most of our time looking at what's going on. We're not fighting it. We can't. We can't do anything about it. Nobody cares what we think necessarily. But we've got to think about what we do and how we look at the world. And so if we think that we're careening towards sort of a, a deep, I'm going to call it a debasement event. It can happen in one event or it can happen in a series of micro events, but we're careening towards, in our view, because of the debt stack, because of the inability for rates to go up on their own, and because of the inability to raise taxes to deal with it, we're careening towards a world where there's a debasement event on the horizon. And that's the kind of thing that when we talk about it, we feel like we're wearing tinfoil hats. But it's not out of the, it's not out of the realm of nor possibility. In 1934, FDR paid everybody $21 an ounce for their gold. And after they, everybody gave him the gold, he turned around the next day and priced it at $35 an ounce. That's a debasement event. Mm -hmm. 1971, Nixon took us formally off the gold standard. That was the last link to a hard currency. Um, one can argue OPEC having a role had a role in the 70s, but a lot of what happened in the 70s was the result of the US effectively defaulting on its currency. Right. And so there's historical precedent for this, but it has a, it has slightly different faces from whatever this will take. Right. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about what it is we're doing in relation to this. And so what do we want to own in this kind of world? Hard currency stuff, um, secure stocks that have pricing power in, within their business. Um, we could see a we could see a case for uh, non-government money. Uh, you know, uh, digital non-government non money. Give like, the people what they want. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, for years, I was sort of a, a, we were both a, we were both real Bitcoin skeptics. And now we're sort of like, as we think about it, we're sort of uh, coming, coming around to the idea of non-government money. And so, and we're coming around to an idea for, for multiple reasons, not just for this. It's that, you know, you look at some of the, some of the, um, you could see that payment system being adopted on top of it. Now, I like a really trendy thing to say is, well, we think blockchain is a really interesting technology, but we don't like, you know, we don't have we don't have anything to do with the with the with the bitcoins of the world. We don't understand that. And I actually wonder if I take the opposite view, where I can see a case for non-government non-government mon money, non money and a, and a system being built on top of that. And it and, and who cares if it's built on top of the Visa Mastercard Rails or the the ACH or some more efficient version of the ACH system, like 
I can actually see a, a, a decent case for that yeah. these days. Can, I, I, yeah. I, oh, no, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, my thought process is on and, and belief in crypto has basically done a 180 over the past six months. I mean, we, we were always of the opinion that it had basic use cases, but they were mostly getting money out of banana republics, mm-hmm. um, financing the illicit trade. And right. by that, I mean all kinds of trafficking, weapons trafficking, human trafficking, animal trafficking, drug trafficking, just trafficking, right? Sure. Like it was, you know, it was, you were just long trafficking. But now, um, you know, we can, see a, we can see a world where people want a legitimate store of value and sort of gold is sort of hard to, um, it's not as fungible as people would like now you could, and, you know, and so like, we've, we've sort of come around that point of view, but we're spending time thinking about like, and the companies with pricing power, I mean, what you're looking for there is if there is this debasement event, you want to be able, you want to have a company that could just push through that, that increased price directly to the consumer. You don't want, you want the least amount of frictions and pushing, pushing that price through. Right. And so it may not show up in a commodity type format necessarily because those trend towards the cost of production. So, right. you know, if you've got, you know, somebody picking bananas in Brazil, like, I don't think that guy's getting a raise because this is happening. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's, it, 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 you know, that may not be where it shows up. It could show up in, uh, it could show up in your data plan. It could show up in the techno, in the cost of the the car that you buy, like it could show up in a variety hardware. of different hardware. It could show up in, um, you know, anything where you've got pricing power and pricing power tends to be kind of rare. It could be in, it could be for data that you buy. It, can, it could be for all kinds of different things, but you know, that's sort of a better way to protect, but you want pricing power and sort of low capital requirements. And that's a good way to protect yourself. Um, you also think that it actually helps the people who borrowed money. So like, you got a 30 year mortgage at 3% um, and you, you have something like this happen. Well, there's no way you're trading that mortgage in. Um, you know, there used to be a feature of mortgages um, long ago where you could actually assign them with the house. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. So like, if I was going to buy them, like, like, I wonder if like, so you're effectively selling the mortgage. Yeah. I, huh? Fascinating. Right. Uh, I don't know that I don't know that that's that that technically exists today, but it did prior to the 70s. And and so like a lot of times when you bought a house in the early 80s, you know, you, the fact that you can the fact that this 4% mortgage came with it, in, you know, was like an asset that you could sell with the house. Interesting, right? <laughs> Super interesting. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of like tribal stuff that gets lost to like financial history. But that's like one of those one of those weird one of those weird things. Like, like people, the farther you get away from an event, the harder it is to like do a, do a true analysis of it. Like yeah. people talk like, like we, this happens all the time too, with like um, people talk about dividend yields and how they're lower today than they were historically. People don't understand that like pre-1982, I think it was, it was unclear as to whether or not, it, may, it, it was around that time, don't quote me on the right year, but pre that time, it was unclear whether or not stock buybacks were considered by the regulators to be a form of market manipulation. And so companies didn't buy back stock, they paid big dividends. <laughs> and so like, like the analysis on dividends in the 70s and, and prior is just a completely flawed analysis because you had another form of capital return that just didn't happen. So now like, so like all of these little things get lost to history. And so like the more you study history, the more it gives you a sense on things that like have happened and are theoretically possible, which is why we spend time thinking about this sort of 
debasement event or a series of micro debasement events, yeah. which really could bring back inflation if in, in, in some meaningful way. Like, I think if what we did right now, like, like everything that they're doing is quite stimulative and could create some transitory inflation, but without a permanent program, a permanent I wouldn't, ex I don't expect it to be, I, I would expect that to sort of dissipate. Right. But if you have a permanent program where the Fed is financing the government and they push this money through, um, I just think we could see, I think we could see our elected officials, like the one thing that the United States has over Europe and Japan, like people worry that we're gonna turn into Europe or Japan. Um, Europe has this construct where it's very hard for their politicians to spend money to do the kinds of things that we're talking about. Um, and Japan culturally is different where that's not really the case. Right. I think in the United States, if the US government got paid to borrow, they would figure out all kinds of different ways to spend it. Yeah, and we're just talking about one way that we came up with. There may be other ways that yeah, but so, it may sh and, show up so we just haven't thought about. So we're thinking about like, we think this, this, thing, this thing is probably on the horizon either in the next crisis or shortly after the next crisis. And some, some type of like, something like this yeah. is, 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 is in the world of possibility. And so if it's in the world of possibility, we need to spend time thinking about it. And, um, you know, what's um, Sun Tzu and the other war said, every battle is won or lost before it's ever fought. Right. Well, this is a battle that might be won or lost before it's ever fought. And so mm -hmm. like, if you don't, if you haven't done your own homework and you haven't done your own thinking, you may not do very well on the test when it happens. And we're trying, and so this is for us, is an effort to be able to sort of, to do well on the test. And so that's and rant and rant and rant. Uh, producer Bobby, uh, any uh, any? Uh, you, I mean, well, you're, I see. I can you, I can see you sitting there. You're not wearing a tinfoil hat. Are you going to go get one? Uh, you know, I think I might have to after this conversation. But you know, just to bring it back real quick, I, I had a question because look, bring we're we're eleven days. We're recording this on. Uh, uh, Friday the 23rd. Everybody listen to this. It's going to be October the 29th, I guess. Um, so, you know, today we're 10 days away from the election. At that point, we're going to be basically a week away, which is kind of crazy to think, right? Um, you know, I, I want to bring it back to some of these economic plans that are being talked about, because I think the one nuance you guys brought up that's really interesting that I don't know if a lot of the electorates really thought about is like, okay, tax plans, you know, whether they stay the same or they get raised at the end of the day, will that have any kind of meaningful impact on actually paying down the debt? Um, whereas in, in decades and previous presidencies, it does because the, 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 uh, the deficit wasn't as crazy as it is now, nor do we expect it to go down or the spending to stop anytime soon. So I thought that was an interesting point that uh, maybe I want to flush out a little bit more. You know, um, especially when people who are, are worried about tax increases, you know, especially on on small businesses that we see, you know, in various plans out there. Like, what what do you guys think about that? I mean, we think that the path of least resistance is not in the tax code to dealing with this. Now that we figured out that the Fed can finance the the, the Treasury can the Fed is willing to finance the Treasury or or you know is acting like they'll finance the Treasury. Um, the path of least resistance in this is not through the tax code or through Congress, but through this sort of mechanism that <clears throat> nobody votes on, nobody has to approve, and can act pretty unilaterally. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have issues with the debt ceiling, maybe, but, um, you know, theoretically, you know, it, let's say they finance, finance this into a perpetual, which, you know, is held on the Fed's balance sheet. Um, 
I make the argument against that. They're, you're going to refinance this into a perpetual. It's going to be a better deal than the market rates at the time. Or even now, like let's say they use market rates at the time and they refinance this as a perpetual at 2%. Yeah. I mean, like, like that's not a lot of carry cost. And if it doesn't theoretically need to be repaid, is it actually, does it actually sit as a, uh, as something that can um, impact the debt ceiling? I think that's an interesting way to think about it, but I think, I think everybody's base, base hypothesis should be people are going to do what's in their own best interest, politically speaking. And the path of least resistance, politically speaking, is to not try to extract these rents from the taxpayers but to sort of swindle everybody a little bit. You know, Buffett wrote this article in the early 80s about how inflation swindles the equity holder, and it does. It also swindles the bondholder, it also swindles the taxpayer. But people, the, the politicians, they're, they're in this, like they're, they're gonna wanna swindle everybody. Um, and I don't know if it'll be an event or not, or a series of events. I think if it's one big event, it's more obvious. So maybe it, it happens over a series of events, but still. This to me seems to be the path of least resistance and where we're ultimately headed with it because you know, we're already heading down that road. And so, you know, and then you can make all these theoretical arguments about is the debt really the debt? And so, you know, I mean, I would argue that a perpetual with no coupons is really MES funding and, and you're equitizing the debt, you know, effectively. It's, a, it's, not, it's not a form of debt. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a, like a hybrid equity security. And after seeing all this stimulus, I just question why I paid taxes at all. Yeah, what the heck, man? <laughs> literally was I literally was just gonna say that. It's like, what's what's the point of even having a tax plan anymore? You don't want to devolve into a banana republic. Right. Um, no, of course. I, I'm I'm I mean, you you it's not that you shouldn't have a tax, but but like why why not just keep this and just you know, whoever runs against you know, we why, at, why, I said, if this is the opening bid, it's going to get watered down from here. And it's like, of course, it's yeah. not all that. I mean, like so, there's some things I don't like, but like it's not in the aggregate, all that, not all that meaningful. No. And then you couple that with all the entitlements and all this other stuff that are going up. Like you tell me how this gets paid for. I, yeah. I'm betting it gets financed through the, through, through the federal reserve into securities that don't have to get repaid <clears throat> at some point. Like that, that's my, that, that would be, if I'm thinking creatively about this, um, sort of the path of least resistance and the most fun for politicians. So take the path of, path of least resistance and most fun. Now, it's our job to be aware of that and to think about what that means for what we do in portfolios, how we manage money, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and so that's why I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, and I bother Eric a lot with you know these crazy, what feel like crazy concerns but I don't think that they're all that crazy. Like when you really, when you really play out the motivations of the actors and what's actually transpiring right now, like, you know, we've we're da we're down that path. It certainly we've started down that path. Yeah, we started down the yellow brick road that leads to the land of Oz, which is this world, where this where this sort of thing happens. And it doesn't necessarily like it also doesn't necessarily need to only happen. People say like, what about the dollar? Well, it doesn't necessarily need to only happen here. It can be coordinated with. The Europeans and the Japanese and the British and the and Swiss. So that's the other thing. And so, like, like, like that whole thing is just like a, it's the Keynesian, you know, relative beauty contest. And you put your money on the most, like, not only on the one, the it's not the one that you put the money on, who you think the most beautiful picture is on the table there. It's the one that you think everybody else thinks is the most beautiful girl in the pageant. And like, it's it's one of those types of things. And so, if everybody's doing it, well, then, 
who's the most beautiful girl of the pageant? It's, um, it's, it's sort of one of those relative things. And so like, I, I don't know, it's, 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 it's I, I, it sort of feels like we've entered a brave new world. Um, and maybe we have. Uh, so, you know, for us, it's, it's going to be some form of hard money, some form of pricing power, maybe not, maybe trying to be a borrower instead of a lender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe thinking about the best businesses that have borrowed because, um, you know, there's some of those out there too. And if you're debasing it pretty heavily, um, you know, and, and if we're getting a world like that, where maybe now rates are allowed to rise, does that make like banks and insurance companies and financial institutions at least investable again in some way? I think it might. It might. It's yeah. going to take some time, but it might. So these are the things that we um, theorize about and in, uh, in our spare time. I like I like tinfoil hat endgame. I like that. Yeah. I think that's a good name for this episode. The tinfoil hat endgame. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll think about it some, but uh, anyway. Um, well, we're going to have some real guests talking about some real investing more stories. We're in the midst of creating some new stories ourselves. <laughs> so while we're not wearing our tinfoil hats, we're donning our cape and uh, our cape and cowl and <laughs> doing battle with Bane and the Joker. That's right. Fighting the evil evil underworld of Gotham. Gotham yeah. Uh, so thank, thank you everyone for indulging us. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we love to hear people's thoughts on this. Uh, remember, uh, you can check us out anywhere podcasts are available in the market trenches at podbean.com, snn.network. Check us out on the SNN YouTube channel, youtube.com slash snnwire. Gary, as you, always. Uh, yeah, if you can rate and review us, it helps a lot. If uh, you have a tinfoil hat or a war for, war story that you'd like to share, uh, we'd love to hear love it, to of hear. course. Um, you know, and uh, that's it. I think uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Take care, everyone. The information in this podcast is educational in general nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.